Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today is from the Epistle lesson just read, thus far our text. Dear friends in Christ, as Pastor Poppy said in the opening announcements, the season of Epiphany is all about God revealing himself, about God making manifest who he is. This morning, in our Gospel lesson, Jesus reveals something about himself. He reveals that God loves marriage, that the Lord rejoices at marriage. I mean, he invented it after all. He declared it good, no, very good in the beginning. God absolutely loves marriage. Jesus reveals that in our gospel lesson. He goes to a wedding ceremony for someone in the town of Cana. You can picture him at that wedding reception, interacting with people in much the same way that you do when you go to a wedding reception. He blesses the wedding with his very presence. He sits with people. He eats with people. He talks with people. He laughs. He swaps stories. And he blesses it with the very best of wines. Jesus loves marriage. He was there in Cana rejoicing in the very good gift that marriage is. It's not just that one spot in Scripture where God reveals His love for marriage. In fact, the Scriptures begin with the gift of marriage in Genesis chapter 2. And throughout all the pages, all the way until the very end of the Scriptures, in the book of Revelation, marriages and weddings happen. In fact, that is the culmination of that last book of the Bible, the great wedding feast of the Lamb and His kingdom, which has no end, the heavenly Jerusalem as the bride of Jesus. Perhaps upon all those passages from Genesis to Revelation that talk about marriage, there is none that is more important and the one from our epistle lesson today. In it, St. Paul describes what marriage is. He says it this way. Marriage is wives submitting to their husbands, not in servitude, not out of fear, but instead out of love. Submitting in the very same way that all of us submit to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you what our submission to Jesus Christ looks like. Our submission to Jesus Christ is all about receiving the good gifts that he gives. Word, sacrament, and rejoicing in them. 
Our submission to Christ is all about receiving the love that he continually pours out upon us. So St. Paul says it's simple. In the same way that we submit to Christ, wives submit to your husbands. And husbands, well, they have jobs to do as well. Husbands are to love their wives, not as objects or inferior things, but rather in the very same way that Christ loves you. Husbands are to value and cherish their wives, doing every single thing necessary to provide for them, to give them safety, to make sure they have all they need. Husbands are to love their wives enough to give all that they have to care for them, to give away every possession, even life itself. If that would mean their wife was well provided for. When the going gets tough for married couples, husbands are to get going in service to their wives. If the need arose, a husband should take the bullet for the family. Just as Christ went to the cross for you. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And God rejoices in marriage in such a way that even those who are not married are to rejoice in it. Single people, those who are widowed, children, they are to pray for those who are married to support them in the difficult tasks of submitting and loving. Single folks are to pray for those who are married, to encourage people who are married to attend church together, to help families keep their children in church, to help them make it through the service, sitting by those who need an extra hand, to help when challenging and difficult times arise. Provide financial support to share wisdom from their own lives with a couple. Marriage affects every single person here. And God loves marriage. Out of marriage, families spring forth. From those families, our church itself grows. And from families, our society exists. This is God's gift of marriage. That's the way God designed it in the very beginning. It is very good, and God loves it. God gave marriage as a good gift to you, to me, to the world, to Adam and Eve in the garden. Marriage is 
good. But also in this world is sin. And sin cannot stand for anything good to exist. So sin corrupts marriage. Even the first marriage between Adam and Eve had problems. Adam did not stand between his wife and Satan. He didn't give of himself to protect her. He didn't even speak a word to her that God spoke to him. He stood idly by as mankind's doom came about. And as for Eve, she did not submit to her husband, but instead she submitted to the lies of Satan when he told her a word that went against God's word. Sin corrupts marriage. And let's just be honest. Dear Christians, marriage is corrupted among us as well. It is so corrupted in our world today that the American Psychological Association says that between 40 and 50% of marriages will end in divorce. Yes, 40 to 50%. Can you think of another institution with a 50% failure rate? Woe to us in our sin. Think of the number of children that affects, the number of families destroyed, the number of people hurt as a result. And terrified by that staggering figure, many today have decided that marriage is in itself old-fashioned and worthless. And so people skip it altogether. Living together outside of God's good gift of marriage. Living that way for years without the certainty of love and, love and submission that God so graciously provides within the bounds of marriage. Woe to us in our sin. And as a result, our society has exchanged natural relations for those contrary to nature, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1. Men committing shameless acts with men, or in our technological world, with machines, as you can see in the news. Our society today cannot even tell the difference between a man and a woman, though it ought to be obvious. The physical act of marriage takes place left and right outside of the bonds of marriage. It happens so often that we're not even surprised when single teenagers act like married people. We expect it. We encourage it. We never speak against it. We watch it on our TVs. 
Woe to us in our sin. In fact, the average age, the average age for the beginning of sexual activity has declined to the age of 17 years old. Parents think about that number. At the same time, that age keeps going down year after year. The average age of first marriage has risen to the age of 29. What effect does that have upon our children being raised without both a mother and a father? Where marriage is corrupted, families are hurt, children injured, and all of society is degraded. After all, a functional society is based upon that fundamental building block of family. Who's the only one benefiting from our sinful teaching on marriage? Lawyers litigating what remains. And so we grope about in the sinful dark in regards to marriage. We base our understanding of marriage upon what feels right at the time rather than what God's word says is always right. How can we say that marriage between one man and one woman when we've come up with so many imaginary genders that we can't even keep track of them? Perhaps what's worst of all, we as a church, as Christians, living in this world have been shamed into silence. We're more afraid of being called prude or homophobic or backwards than we are afraid the God who created marriage in the beginning. Dear Christians, let's be honest. Let's get personal. Let's not pretend like there is a single person in this room has not sinned in regard to marriage. Let's not pretend like there's not some sitting among us, all of us in fact, who are not in some way openly desecrating marriage even today. Let's not think that divorce, adultery, 
pornography or anything else is only a problem for those outside the church. This church is not full of people who are holy and righteous in themselves. It is full of sinners. Sinners who have corrupted God's word. Even sinners who go against God's good gift of marriage. Repent. Confess. You see, our sin is exactly why God's Son entered the world. He came to suffer, to bleed, and to die for your sin against marriage, to forgive you your sin. The only way your sin could be taken care of was by Christ's work on the cross. That's the only way that marriage could be made holy again. His blood had to cover up the whole mess that we have made marriage. He had to kill the guilt that our sin has attached to God's good gift. He had to pay the price for our sinful actions, thoughts, and words. The gory, gruesome, bloody, dirty death of Jesus was the only thing that could undo all the perversion that our sin has done to God's gift. Jesus was the only way that marriage could be held in honor by us. And you know what? Jesus, as a good husband, loved you enough that he was willing to pay the price He was willing to die for you who are married so that you might be forgiven to suffer for you who are not yet married so that you could be forgiven. He was willing to give his life for you who support for and pray for those who are married. He gave his all. And in so doing, Jesus has restored holiness, righteousness, and peace between you and God, between husband and wife, between parent and child. Jesus' blood has made marriage holy again. 
and with forgiveness and holiness between husband and wife, children and families are free to live in God's good gifts and to honor them, to rejoice in them, to be happy in them. That's what Jesus did for you, dear Christian. So repent and leave your sin behind. Stop the sin that you are committing outside the bounds of marriage to the very best of your ability. Look to the forgiveness that Christ freely gives to you and to all the world. Stop condoning others who sin against marriage. Stop looking the other way. Stop being Nebraska nice, living and let live. But kindly speak the truth of what God desires in marriage. Live in God's forgiveness. Stop looking at porn, but rejoice in God's gift. Stop committing adultery, but rejoice in God's gift. Pray for those who are married. Help them, support them. Live always in the mercy of Jesus. And most importantly, remember Paul's words that end our epistle lesson this morning. He says that all of this marriage business isn't really about you alone. It's about Jesus and his bride, the church. We, us, you and me, we are the bride of Christ. We freely receive the care, the forgiveness, the blessings of being Jesus' most blessed possession. He loves us. He gives all he has for us, even his own life. He washes us. He cleanses us from all sin and wickedness in the waters of holy baptism. He clothes us with a white robe, a white robe of garment. He takes us into his home. He loves and provides for us world without end. He feeds us with his own body and blood so that we may live life to the full. We have eternity in him. And this feast is but a foretaste of the feast that is to come in his kingdom. The wedding feast of Jesus. Where the wine will not run out. Where the feast will not grow cold or moldy. Where the blessings of God will ever be near forever and ever without end. That is the true wedding. Jesus and us the church, Christ and his beloved, you. And so we live like the bride who is loved by her husband. We submit to the gifts Christ gives, receiving them with joy. We rejoice that Jesus feeds us with forgiveness of sins. We're glad that he's washed away all that previously had muddied our lives. 
and in submission to him, we live a holy life in the righteousness he earned on the cross. In submission to Jesus, we let marriage, God's good gift, be held in honor by us all. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God, which far surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.